Live the life you've imagined. Look up to the sky. Back to KG Styles. Transform and heal your life. 248-545-SOUL. CBS Radio's The New Sky. NewSkyRadio.com. Welcome to Transform and Heal Your Life. I'm your host, KG Styles, and I'm here to help you navigate the cycles of your life with more grace and ease. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate having an opportunity to offer you something to nourish your heart, mind, and soul. Today, my guest is New York Times bestselling author, Greg Braden, renowned for his work in bridging science and spirit. Greg's newest release is Fractal Time, The Secret of 2012 and a New World Age. As we all know, our world is undergoing profound and dramatic shifts and changes, and Greg brings an enlightened and refreshing view to the conversation about the changes we are undergoing, including 2012 and the Mayan calendar. Greg will share valuable information with us that has significance and practical application for our own personal life. Before we begin, let's take a moment to breathe together. Placing your hand over your heart, connecting with your own inner being. Feel your love connection with everyone on today's call and on planet Earth, Mother Gaia. Feel your connection with all that is. Breathe in. Exhale slowly, letting go of any resistance to just being fully present here in this moment. Breathe in once more and exhale. Through your breath, you open your heart to hear any messages Spirit might have for you on today's show. Thank you. It's always wonderful to be with you. The angel overlighting today's show is Ariel, the angel of nature, the elemental kingdoms, and the environment. Ariel's name means lion or lioness of God. Ariel assists us in manifesting and creating abundance. Call upon Ariel when you need physical strength and courage to face earthly challenges. On today's show, my guest is New York Times bestselling author Greg Braden, renowned for his work in bridging science and spirit. Greg's newest release is Fractal Time, The Secret of 2012 and a New World Age. Greg's early career began as a senior computer systems designer and computer geologist. Since then, he has spent more than 20 years searching the remote monasteries of Egypt, Peru, and Tibet for the life-giving secrets that were encoded in the language of our most cherished traditions. Greg's work of disseminating knowledge from these wisdom traditions has led to such marvelous books as The God Code, The Divine Matrix, the spontaneous healing of belief, and his newest fractal time. Greg's work shows that the key to our future lies in the wisdom of our past. To learn more about Greg, his upcoming events, and to join him on one of his remote travel adventures, please visit his website. That's gregbraden.com, G-R-E-G-G-B-R-A-D-E-N.com. Please welcome to the show my extraordinary guest, Greg Braden. KG, are you there? Yes, I 
I, I'm finally hearing something, uh, okay, your voice. Well, you, uh, I, I heard you when you came on, and there was some doubt as to whether or not you believed you were being heard. <laughs> so I'm just checking in with you rather than talk 10 minutes and then find out nobody's there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I'm here. It's good to hear another voice and yeah, to have to some yours. sense. Somebody's yeah. out there. Well, so I'm thrilled to have you with us. Well, I'm, just, I'm thrilled to be on this program. Thank you for inviting me, and I'm really excited uh, to be with our listeners today. We're going to cover a lot of ground in, uh, in a very short period of time. I think our hour is going to go by very quickly. And uh, I'm going to follow your lead because there are so many different directions that we can go with this material. Um, I'll let you take us where you think uh, your audience would most benefit, and I'll do my, my very best to shed whatever light I can on, on uh, that topic. Well, we appreciate that. Your new book is Fractal Time, The mm. Secret of 2012 and a New World Age. Tell us about uh, Fractal Time. What is it, and how can we use this information to empower ourselves today? Okay, you just asked me three questions. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what I'd like to do is I just share with our audience, I, I was trained as a scientist uh, in the physical sciences, the ocean sciences, the space and the computer sciences, and it was as a scientist working in the defense industry during the last years of the Cold War in the 1980s that I first began hearing about this mysterious date on the Mayan calendar of 2012. Uh, and I didn't know what it meant, and I, I didn't know why 2012 would be any different than 2010 or 2020 or any other year. What was the big deal about this year? And as a scientist, I began looking at the physical evidence uh, of of what our ancestors have said to us in their written records. And that led me uh, into some of the most isolated and remote and pristine places remaining on the earth today where their understandings have been least disturbed by the modern world. And I began to, to understand their practices and their oral traditions about the significance of this date and that led me to the hard science of looking into the history of the Earth as a geologist and, and the archaeological evidence of civilizations past, all to, to bring light into realistically, realistically, what can we expect? Uh, on 2012 and the years leading up to 2012, there's so much speculation, so much fear. The media is showing so much negative information and frightening people all over the world uh, about the events surrounding this, this day. And I wanted to bring a realistic perspective to that. And what all of this search uh, led me to then, and it's an ongoing search, it's not over by any means, but what I came to understand is that our ancestors throughout the world and the world today beyond Western understanding, once we leave uh, our scientific perspective of the world, uh, people have always seen our universe in terms of cycles and our lives in terms of cycles and our relationship to the world in terms of cycles. Some of the cycles are very obvious. The 28-day cycle of the moon and how it's tied to a woman's body, for example, or our 24-hour cycles of day and night. Those are easy to see, and we recognize those. But our ancestors were looking at huge cosmic cycles covering vast periods of time lasting 5,000, 10,000, 26,000 year cycles and how Earth changes 
in the presence of those cycles and how people change in response to the earth changes. And all of this uh, led me to understand that we are, in fact, living a very rare time in the history of the earth, in the history of earth cycles, and in the history of civilization. So what I'd like to do is begin with, with a couple of facts, and with that foundation, then we can, we can have this conversation go wherever we'd like it to go. So are you okay if I do it that way? Yes. Okay, yes. so it, it is a fact. As a scientist, I can say that we are living the last years of a rare and mysterious cycle of time. It's a 5,125-year-long cycle that our uh, Mesoamerican ancestors called a great world age. Uh, our present world age began in the biblical era in the year 3114 B.C., and it ends with a, a rare astronomical event uh, in 2012 A.D. on the winter solstice. That's a fact. It is a fact that we have lived through at least uh, four of these world age cycles in the past, and that we are now completing the fifth and moving into the sixth cycle. Uh, and it is a fact that each time Earth reaches the point where one of these cycles ends, there are cataclysmic uh, events that happen on the Earth very similar to what we're already expecting, or, excuse me, already living. So rather than expecting and anticipating and fearing all of these very frightening things a few years from now, I think it's very useful to recognize that we're already living the, uh, the most frightening of those predictions, and I think we're doing a really good job dealing with them. We're already living the extremes in climate and the extremes in weather and uh, superstorms that are bringing extremes of, of hot and cold to different parts of, of the world. And we're already living the, the sea levels rising and the ice caps melting. We're already living um, superstorms wiping entire communities from seashore, uh, seashore residences. We're already seeing multiple fires raging out of control on multiple continents. We're already seeing disease that has no medical cure killing millions of people that we don't seem to be able to stop. But we all know that there's much more happening than those things, a lot of really good things happening in the world as well. And it, it is a fact, and this is why I'm so passionate about this topic, it's a fact that some of the greatest civilizations in the past collapsed and disappeared when they reach the point in their cycle where we are in ours right now because they made a mistake that I believe we can avoid. And this is the value of understanding the past. And their mistake is, is simply this. When the world changed and they didn't understand the cycles and they didn't understand the change, in their fear, the civilizations that disappeared, they began to fight one another and they began to compete for the resources that were disappearing and they began trying to prop up systems of living that were no longer sustainable. And when they did that, and when they fought among themselves, everybody lost, nobody won. And those civilizations disappeared. And we've got to ask ourselves, are we making some of those same mistakes today? And if we are, what can we do to change the way we respond to the, the cyclic changes of, of our world? Now, when we talk about 2012, with the Mayans, uh, the, the, our Mayan ancestors, whose calendars so many people are relying upon to, 
to give us information about this age. What they told us very clearly, while they identified a date that ends their calendar, 2012 isn't so much about a day in time, it's about a window of time, a zone of time, because these alignments are are alignments that are happening between planets and galaxies and solar systems, and they move slowly over long periods of time. So we're actually living a, a, a 2012 zone, or what can be thought of as a 2012 window, that the mathematicians tell us began in 1980, and it ends around... 2016. And what that means is that we're already, we're well into and over halfway through the 2012 zone when we can expect all of these frightening things to happen. We're already living those changes. So I think as I've traveled the world, certainly in these last five years, and shared this with audiences all over the world, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have some tough times. But I think it puts it into perspective knowing that we're already living and dealing, I think, very well with these changes rather than expecting and waiting and anticipating this day down the road when, you know, when the bottom drops out and the world ends. Mm-hmm. So clearly, it's not the end of the world. It's the end of a great world age. And as a scientist, I have to say that there's no scientific evidence to support that the world ends, as some of the media specials suggest. But there is a good body of scientific evidence showing that we've lived 2012 cycles in the past. And as we go through this program and come back from our breaks, we can talk about what we know from those past cycles and what it tells us about where we are today. So that's a long answer to a short question, but I wanted to lay that out so we can tie into it uh, throughout the rest of the program. Well, that is so clear. A question I have is, do, do you see us entering a galactic age? My guest is New York Times bestselling author Greg Braden. Here, I'm, I'm hearing somebody else that's with us. Are you hearing that as well? <laughs> it's an interesting show today. <laughs> so. I didn't know if it was something on my end or if it's just a, a little tech thing going on. No, I'll, s- I'll send a note. And okay. Anyway, just a little tech thing. Right. So I wanted to hear about what are the religious and spiritual implications of the cycles. That seems to be pretty crucial to me. Uh, you know, what are you talking about as far as what – are some of those changes that are ha- taking place? And, you know, do you see us entering a galactic age? Well, I, you mentioned this term before the break, and I'd, I'd like to hear from you, KG, when you say a galactic age. What, what do you mean by that? And then I can, that will help me to respond more clearly. Well, you must have an intuition about that, Greg, um, <laughs> what that would mean. I, I mean where we enter into more of a, a, a area of being in communication with other other civilizations from other galaxies, becoming okay, life know. life beyond our world. Yes. Okay, or life in other realms. Yes. Okay, I, I think those are those are two very different questions, but they kind of tie into the the same answer. And before I even answer that, I'm, I'm going to pick up on a little piece from the last segment. What, when we talk about 2012, so much of what is being disseminated is based on speculation uh, or someone else's interpretation of a prophecy or a prediction, whether we're talking about Gene Dixon or Nostradamus or Edgar Cayce or the Hopi or the Tibetans or the Aboriginals 
uh, the Andean people in uh, uh, Peru and Bolivia, so many of the media specials are focused on those prophecies and, and their vision. All of these people viewed the universe as, uh, as a cyclic experience in our lives, as cycles. All of them told us that at the end of the last world age, they wrote to us in the language of their time, and they said, we just lived through, I'm paraphrasing, but they said, we just lived through one of these world age cycles. This is what we experience. This is what you can expect. And beyond simply telling us it was happening, they informed us of a way of being, an internal experience that we can create as individuals that help us deal with these changes in our outer world. And those inner experiences became the core or the seed or the kernel of what we would call our spiritual understandings. Not religious, but they were spiritual understandings helping us to make sense of the changes in the world and deal with those changes by helping us to understand our relationship to the world. We're part of our world rather than separate from our world. And this is one of the, the core concepts in, uh, in the spiritual and the indigenous traditions is we're part of all that we see, part of everything that happens. If it happens to the earth, it happens to us. And the changes that we make in our bodies are changes that we're making to the world. It's a two-way it's a two-way conversation that we're having with, with our world. So when we begin to understand that and we see how at a later time religions came along later, religions are, are a human artifact of our experience in these changes. The religions put the rules and the dogma and around these spiritual principles that, that go to the very core of our relationship with, with ourselves in the world. So it, the reason I wanted to say that before I answer the question is that the, it's at the end of these world age cycles when the world changes and people are looking for ways to make sense of the change and to deal with the change in their lives that it triggers these spurts in spiritual understandings. And part of that spirituality is recognizing that we're part of everything and how we're related to ourselves, how we're related to one another, how we're related to, uh, to the world beyond. And, and all of this appears to be something that is typical at the end of the cycle. It's written about in, in the ancient text. The Vedas talk about this. And our biblical traditions originated at the end of the last cycle and the beginning of, of the cycle that, that we're in right now. So now that we are coming to an end of precisely such a cycle, uh, it is triggering a spiritual resurgence in our world. And we're seeing people look to the religions and the spiritual traditions to make sense uh, of what's happening, except now we've got a new factor. We've got something called science that may not have been around 5,000 years ago, at least not in the form that we know it today. And the science is helping us extend these spiritual understandings beyond uh, ourselves and our neighbors down the street to perhaps our neighbors in other worlds because the science is giving us a reason to understand that we're part uh, of, a, of a community that is much more than just here on planet Earth. 
by the way, the, the changes that Earth is undergoing in this 2012 window of time are not limited to Earth. What our own science now is telling us is every planet in our solar system is undergoing anomalous change. Mars is undergoing global warming, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, magnetic fields are reversed on Uranus and Neptune. Uh, the sun is going through its anomalous changes. So it's not just about us. There's something happening out there. It's yes. influencing our solar system. It's influencing our, our world. And it's part of a cycle where these things have happened before, and we're responding as we have in the past by looking for explanations to help us understand what's happening and how we relate to those changes. And uh, all that is a long answer to a short question. I think part of our spirituality will be the recognition that we are part of a, of a much greater community. And, and as our space program takes us, into the planets, the, the moon and, and beyond. Mars will be next in these next, uh, I don't know, eight to ten years. I know right now China's on its way to, to the moon. Are you there? Yes, and, and nobody can hear this, this. It's on the back end. Okay. Just to let you know, just to let you know I've okay, been well, trying to send a message to Jimmy to let him know. That's true. I didn't know if they were talking. I heard questions across, they were asking yeah. me. So, so as, I'm, I apologize. No, that's I apologize. Okay. As, as, as I want to honor your audience here, as we, as a, a planet and as a species, begin going to other worlds, I think the evidence strongly suggests that we will find archaeological remnants of past civilizations on these other worlds. We've got uh, good evidence from the 1970s, from the Voyager space spacecraft, and from our Apollo missions uh, of what very strongly appears to be archaeological remnants of past and very ancient civilizations. When we find uh, new evidence and those things are verified, it will open up the door to our willingness to accept that we're part of a, of a greater community. And I think this is all part of the, this end-of-cycle phenomenon that triggers a, a spiritual awareness of our relationship to ourselves and the world. And I also think it's a very unifying principle because I, I think, I'll just be very honest, my personal opinion, this is a Gregism, uh, I believe that there is life beyond our world, but I think what we're going to find is the archaeological remnants that we see on the moon and on other worlds. It's ours from past cycles where we, as humankind, have reached heights of technological achievements that allowed us to work together and experience other worlds, and then something seems to happen at the end of the cycles where people fight one another and they lose the very things they cherish, and then we begin all over again at another 5,000-year cycle. And if we, in the next 8 to 10 years, if we see evidence that we have been to the moon in a, a previous cycle, it changes everything. It, it changes everything about who we think we are and what we've achieved in the past and what we can achieve if we put down our weapons and we work together as a family uh, and pool our intellect and our passion and our love and our resources. It opens the door to all those possibilities. Uh, and I think all of those things are part of what the end of the cycle brings. It brings a new awareness of who we are and our understanding of ourselves in the world. 
So you developed the time code calculator. What is a time code calculator and how do you use it? Well, the, the cycles that we're talking about are based on natural principles. Uh, very simple mathematics. It's, it's not complex. You don't need a you know, big computer to do it. Very simple math. Uh, it's the same math that governs the orbits of planets around the sun and governs the orbit of moons around planets and governs much of um, the way nature works. And when I wrote the book Fractal Time, what I found is that a lot of my readers don't like math and they don't want math in their book. <laughs> so I moved it all to the end and put it in the appendices. And I found that even then they didn't want the math in the appendices. So what I did was I automated the very simple mathematics and put it up on, uh, on our website in what is called a time code calculator that allows us to use different, three different modes. There's three different ways this calculator can be used. One of those is to tell us where to look into the past to know what, what experiences we can expect in the present. In other words, what dates in the past lay the foundation for what we can expect in 2012? And once we have the dates, then we can look at the history of the Earth. We can look at the ice cores of Antarctica in those dates and see what was happening in the Earth. We can look into the archaeological records of past civilizations and see what were people doing during that time. And those are the kinds of things that give us facts and a realistic expectation of what we can expect uh, in, in the near term now and beyond 2012. And when we come back from our, our next break, I think if you'd like to go into more detail, we can talk about what those cycles tell us and, and what they show Absolutely. and a little bit about how to use the yes. calculator if people are interested in doing that. Yes, yes. Um, well, uh, I think we have t time for... Okay. I'm showing we the bottom of the hour, and that's when they said we would take a break. So <laughs> yes, we've got a couple more minutes before the break, okay? okay? All right. So so maybe you could just begin to talk about these hot dates that hold the greatest threats of war, peace, economic cycles. Could you talk a little bit no, about I, absolutely. that? Absolutely. The time code calculator can be used a number of different ways. One I just mentioned allows us to look into the past to see what dates lay the foundation for what we can reasonably expect. Another mode allows us to choose significant dates in the past that began the cycles that we're now living and, and tell us when those cycles repeat. So we can look at 1929, for example, as a seed date for economic collapse on a global basis, uh, 1914 with a seed date for global war on our planet. Um, um, we can look at 1861 with a seed date for civil war in the United States of America. Uh, these are all seed dates that set into motion patterns that repeat on a regular basis. And using the calculator, it will tell us when we can reasonably expect these conditions to occur again. It also works for really good things, um, for periods of economic abundance and for success. Uh, we rarely get stuck in patterns of joy and abundance and success. We don't say, you, you know, we don't complain about having too much joy yes. and abundance and success in our lives, but yes. the calculator tells us those things as well. Yes. The reason I'm mentioning all of this is that when we look into the last 100 years, 
the seed dates for some of the most frightening events that define the world as we know it today, they all repeat within the next 12 to 18 months of this broadcast before we ever get to 2012. And the beauty of knowing that is because each time the seed repeats, it brings the opportunity of what is called a choice point. And in a choice point, it's the opportunity to reset the patterns that led to those frightening conditions so that they never have to happen again. Today we are talking about fractal time with my guest, Greg Braden. Greg is a New York Times bestselling author and known for his work in bridging science and spirit. His newest release is Fractal Time, the secret of 2012 and a new world age. We are taking, uh, I don't know if we'll be able to take questions or not. I'd love for Greg to be able to take questions. We're so in a conversation, so we'll see what the flow is, but... Uh, you can send instant feedback at psychicalonair.com, and po- you know possibly can, we can get questions into Greg. So, Greg, you there? We should be healing and transforming the hard drive of the computer <laughs> in the studio that crashed while we were, we're going on. We're going on. We're going on. We're pioneering faith today. Okay. This is. <laughs> so. I definitely so, want to pick up with where we left off before our break yes. because because this yes. is a really important concept. Yes. And I, I think uh, I think it helps us to understand the significance of where we are in the history of the cycles in our civilization. So are you okay if we tie into that quickly? Yes, please. Yes, please. The, what our own scientists tell us, what physicists tell us, is that when a cycle begins, I'm just going to share this a little bit more detail, when a cycle begins whether it's a a cycle in our personal lives of love and betrayal and loss or success and abundance and joy, or a a global cycle of war uh, and peace, uh, or an economic cycle, regardless of the, the scale, each cycle begins with an event, the seed, S E E D event, that sets into motion a pattern of energy that will repeat uh, with a, a rhythm on a cyclic basis. It means we know we know when it begins, we know when those conditions will repeat. Now, I have to be really clear about this. It doesn't mean that the same events are going to repeat. If, if 1929 is a seed date for global economic collapse and that cycle repeats this year, it doesn't mean that the events must occur. It means that the conditions make it easier, make it more likely for those things to occur. So the seed begins the cycle, and at the end of each cycle, before the the next one begins, there's a place where neither exists for a brief period of time, and that is called the choice point. The choice point. This is a term that was coined in physics in in, uh, 1958 at Princeton University. And if we know when the choice point is, this is the value of, of the time code calculator in looking at the cycles. If we know when a choice point occurs, then that, that is the moment in time when our choices have the greatest potency to change the pattern of the past, the frightening patterns, the destructive patterns of, of suffering, personal and global. And the reason I'm saying that is because 2010 and 2011 happens to they happen to to represent a window of time where some of the most destructive and frightening patterns 
of the last 100 years where those conditions are repeating, the cycles, the fractal cycles are repeating. So 1929, for example, we mentioned this earlier, the first time we had a global economic collapse. Uh, 1914, the first year we had global war. Uh, 1861, the first time we had civil war. Uh, 1941 was the first time the United States of America was surprised and attacked on American soil. All of these cycles, and there are others as well, as different as the seed dates are from one another, all of those cycles are repeating within the next 12 to 18 months, in 2010 and 2011. So it, at first it sounds scary, and then we realize that what that means is that in 2010, 2011, the choice points to forever walk away from those conditions are coming up for us as individuals and collectively. We have this rare opportunity at the end of this cycle to to redefine the patterns of war and suffering and disparity that have led to those things in the past. And the fractal time calculator, the, the uh, time code calculator, tells us when those cycles are, are going to repeat. Now, I just want a little aside to this. Uh, I developed the, this, this work was the result of 20, probably 26 years of research using the principles and the mathematics of nature to help us understand the cycles. Um, it was late last year in 2009 when a, a gentleman approached me at a conference after I had shared with the audience what I'm sharing with you right now. And he asked me, he, he said that he identified himself. He worked for a civilian think tank who is also looking at cycles with big computers and very complex mathematics. And he said, where did you get your cycles from? And I, I told him, they're cycles of nature and how I arrived at these. And I said, why are you asking? And he said, because you're using your cycles, we're using ours, but they're both pointing to the same things, that these next two years are really pivotal years in the redefining the events that have shaped our world in the past. And the reason I think all this is important is because when we talk about 2012, so many people are waiting for that date for something to happen. But if we look closely at what the Mayan science priests were telling us, and if we look closely at what Edgar Casey and Nostradamus and Gene Dixon and the Hopi uh, prophecy and the Tibetan prophecy and the Andean prophecy are telling us, if we look closely in the Mayans, if we look closely at what they're all saying, what they're saying is that 2012 is the beginning of a new world age where we begin living the new way of living, whatever that means to us, it implies that all the changes that have to be in place for that new world happen before 2012. So I think 2010 and 2011 is where the action is, and that we have this rare opportunity to, it's, it's like a reality check, to reset the, the conditions that have led to so many of the, the great challenges that we see in our lives today, and 2012 is when we get to begin the new world with all of those things behind us 
So we're redefining our economic system. We're redefining the way we fuel this planet. We're redefining when we use war to solve our differences. We're redefining how we share resources of food and electricity and water and technology and medicine uh, across borders. All of that's happening right now, and that's exactly what the cycles are telling us. So I, I wanted to say that before, if we get sidetracked, I wanted our, our listeners to hear that I, I think that this is a rare and precious, pivotal opportunity to bring joyous change to our world rather than uh, a countdown to the end of our planet. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Does that make any sense? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yes. yes. I'm, uh, I'm curious myself if the time code calculator has been correlated with astrological cycles because you can see cycles through. It has know, to. Be- because, so. because the time code calculator takes into account natural rhythms, those astrological cycles are inherent in the time code cycles. It's, it's a great question. And uh, we cannot separate an astrological cycle from a cycle of war and peace or a cycle of in our personal lives. And I want to emphasize that this, this works in our personal lives. I give an example in the book, uh, and, and people can go online and do this. If you can pinpoint the age in your life when you, you had the first experience, the seed event uh, of either joy, uh, abundance and success, or hurt and loss and betrayal, or any other emotion for that matter. But if you can pinpoint those things, that you will see it will calculate when those conditions will repeat again and again and again. And they take into account, because they are natural cycles, they take into account uh, the astrological cycles that you're, I think that you're asking me about. While there's, you don't enter them into the calculator, they're inherent in the calculations. So, so the, the um, choice point I liken a choice to choosing between, you know, if you want to focus on love, if you want to have a harmonious, if you want to choose for seeing things a good outcome, you know what I'm saying, or if uh, you're choosing for seeing the worst possible outcome. Do you hear what I'm saying? Is that well, what you're? The, the choice. The question is, how do we choose? And knowing that the choice point is there is one thing. The second part is, is how do we make the choices? And this is the, the secret that's locked into some of our most sacred and cherished spiritual traditions that we find in their, I think, the, the purest form in, in the monasteries and in the indigenous traditions and in the Andes and the desert southwest and uh, the aboriginal traditions. These people have preserved a way of being, an inner experience that helps us uh, adapt to the changes in our outer world, and it's all about a heart-based experience. So what our own science now is telling us is that the human heart is the strongest generator of electrical and magnetic fields in the human body, much stronger than the brain. And when we create experiences inside of our bodies like appreciation and care and gratitude when we create those kinds of experiences what we're really doing scientifically is we're setting up electrical and magnetic fields that tip the scales of balance in our favor but we don't have to know the science to do that 
uh, when we when we make the choices. So when we choose to empower conscious corporations, for example, conscious ways of doing business, when we choose to empower uh, people in politics that are speaking for us and are carrying our values into the political system, um, those are ways. Conscious media, when we recognize that movies are more than entertainment, our our own scientists now are telling us that the images we surround ourselves with in film and media and entertainment, those images tend to become the reality that we experience. Yes. So we have to ask ourselves, if we surround ourselves with frightening, scary movies of 2012 and global destruction, are we actually setting up the conditions for the very things that we don't want? And this is why it's important to give ourselves alternative images of uh, an enlightened world and a, a, a powerful new way of living in our world as a cooperative family than, uh, rather than warring nations. It's important to do that because the, the studies are showing that, that those images become the seed for the realities that we experience. So it's about consciously choosing what, where we place our focus and what it is that we support in our world. And this is something everybody can do every moment of every day. So it, it's the inner work that you share so gracefully and so lovingly in, in your program and others like this, that's one piece of it, the inner work, knowing that our heart-based emotions uh, actually influence fields that sustain life on this planet. That's important. And then it's also about making the choices in everyday life, the, the systems that we rely upon, making the choices for those systems that are, are sustainable in, in our lives. Locally grown produce, for example, instead of you know, buying food from your local organic farmer and instead of buying food from uh, you know, a big conglomerate halfway around the world that's been irradiated, all the enzymes are dead, and it took you know, 48 hours to ship it to you. Those, those are choices that we can all make, and, and we know that the locally grown organic food is alive, it's healthy, we're better beings for it, and by buying that, we support people locally, and we influence uh, uh, local economies and uh, uh, encourage that kind of sustainability. So it's simple choices like that. Yes, I think, I think it's uh, beautifully put. You know, we can empower ourselves with just those simple choices in, in each moment of our life. Yeah. So you've shown a documentary film at a medicineless hospital. Could you tell us about what is revealed through the film about the power of the human heart? You were talking about the power of the human heart to affect healing. Could you talk about what's in this documentary film and also share your own personal experience of healing yourself? Sure. Did you see that film by any chance? I saw bits of it. I didn't see the whole film, but I've seen footage of it. Okay. I, I have shown it's a, it's a film I showed for years and years all over the world in our, our live presentations, and I thought maybe... You have been present one of those presentations. This uh, uh, it's a very powerful film. Uh, we're going to shift gears here. So knowing where we are in the cycles and knowing that our personal uh, our personal choices and our heart based choices influence the way we experience the cycles. Now we can shift gears and, and look at some very personal experience. This film. Uh, for listeners that may not be familiar with, with what it is, it was uh, 
it was recorded in a medicineless hospital in uh, in China in the 1990s. And the reason I share it is because it's a beautiful illustration. It's less than three minutes long. Two minutes and 40 seconds long is how long this film is. And it, it's a film of a woman diagnosed with what Western doctors say is an inoperable medical condition. It's a tumor. They say that they, they cannot remove in her bladder. And she's gone to one of the, the medicineless clinics, which sounds like an oxymoron <laughs> to us, a medicineless hospital. But she's gone to one of these clinics where practitioners are actually applying the principles that we're talking about right now. And through the, the magic of a sonogram, we can actually look into her body real time. It's not time lapse, but this is a real time image. And we can see that tumor respond to a condition that, that the practitioners are creating inside of their bodies. The, the practitioners have been trained uh, to create a heart-based experience, and, and that experience, uh, as we mentioned earlier, the heart is the strongest generator of electrical and magnetic signals in the human body. So the practitioners are creating a feeling in their body uh, that is having an effect on the woman's body without ever physically touching her. And the effect is that her tumor disappears in 2 minutes and 40 seconds, and we can see it happen uh, with the sonogram. The question is, what are these practitioners doing? And the answer sounds so simple that a lot of people don't believe it. But what they're doing is they're making a subtle and simple shift from asking or praying for the tumor to disappear. They're not doing that. Because if they're asking or praying for it to disappear, they're acknowledging that it, it even exists. They're making a, a subtle shift. Rather than doing that, they are feeling the feelings of gratitude and appreciation and care uh, as if the tumor uh, no longer exists, as if the woman is already healed. She is fully enabled, fully capacitated. They're giving thanks of gratitude and appreciation for the condition as if it already exists. Now, this is a very subtle principle, but it's a, a powerful principle, because if the feelings in our heart are triggering quantum effects in the world, and this is what the science is suggesting, then we have to ask ourselves, how do we turn those effects to, to serve us in, in our lives? And it makes perfect sense that you would feel the feeling of what you choose to experience so that the, those fields can respond and, and, and give you that experience. So they're feeling the feeling of gratitude and appreciation for the woman as if she's already healed. And in 2 minutes and 40 seconds, we see the response uh, in the... Uh, in a sonogram, and they do this all the time. They have a 95% success ratio after five years, or success rate, after five years of, of cancers from people that will follow this experience with life-affirming protocols that we already know, so diet, exercise, nutrition, breath, mm -hmm. belief systems, all of those things. You can't you know, go back to a, a, an unhealthy lifestyle and expect that the your body won't respond in some way. But, um, but this is, uh, I wanted to answer the question. This is what I was showing in the film. And the only, only reason I was sharing it, it wasn't for people to rush to that clinic because they don't have to. 
and number one, number two, it doesn't exist any longer. Uh, others do, but that particular clinic was shut down. But we don't have to go there. When we understand the principles, we can do this in our own lives, and that was the second part of the question. Uh, in the year 2000, after I had shown this film in audiences all over the world on giant screens and and uh, teletrons in huge audiences, uh, I had I went to get my physical in the year 2000, and the doctor said, you've got something in your bladder that shouldn't be there. And I thought, well, you know, of course, I guess. I've been looking at this thing all over the world day after day on these big screens, and, and I guess, you know, that my feeling about what I was seeing triggered that reaction within my body. And he said, it's got to come out. And I said, well, this is the opportunity for me to put into practice what I share with audiences all over the world. So I took two weeks. I didn't answer any phone calls, no emails. I didn't do any business, didn't travel, and really applied to myself what I've learned in the monasteries and what I've shared with audiences all over the world. But even then, I had my doubts because of our logical Western mind, you know, our doubts and our fears. And I went to the, the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, and actually went under anesthesia into a, 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 a surgical, into the operating room, only to wake up uh, an hour later with the doctor saying, why are you here? There's, there's no reason for you to be here. There's nothing in your bladder, and there's, there's nothing to operate on. And that experience for me, uh, I'm shortening the whole experience in the interest of time, but that experience was the opportunity for me to, to put into practice for myself what I had been sharing with others so that I could look at anyone anywhere in the world in the eye and say, I know that we have the ability to, to heal uh, and to, to bring our bodies into balance and to, to transcend the conditions that threaten our lives. I know that we have that ability. So that's, uh, again, that's a kind of a long story and a long answer, but I wanted to share both of those before we, we get to the end of yes. the program. Yes. Well, uh, you've been quoted as saying our heart locks matter and energy into place. So I think that's an example of... I think it is. I think that's exactly yes. what it is. What, what, yes. What the scientific consensus right now is that we live in a, a quantum world where all possibilities exist as potential. So that means they're there floating around, but they haven't crystallized into anything real yet. And that what science says, in the language of science, it says observation affects the reality. They say that when we observe, this, this is what the experiments were showing back in the early 1900s, when we observe an electron, we change its behavior by observing it. Well, what the indigenous people say a little bit differently is that when we feel the feeling, what we do is, is we're collapsing all of those possibilities into one thing that's real. And it's, it's our heart-based intent is how we claim that reality in our lives. So while it sounds technical, it's very simple. It means when we feel the feeling of the outcome as if it's already there, then that's what takes all of those possibilities and collapses them into one reality and that's the reality that we experience the reality of the healing and if if in our hearts we're uncertain that uncertainty will reflect in our world as well i think people find this when they're looking for their their partners in life if you're not certain on 
what it is that you are choosing to have in a life partner, what you'll do is, is you'll draw into your life people with all different qualities and values um, that are reflecting in real life the, the uncertainty that you're feeling in your heart. And this is an opportunity. It's like a feedback mechanism. Once we're really clear what we're looking for, that's pretty much what shows up in our lives. Yes. So um, just uh, anecdotal kinds of information, but the science certainly is bearing this out. Well, we are coming up on the end of our show. I did want you to give a brief mention about the uh, you're on an advisory board of an initiative called the Global Coherence Project. So in like 30 seconds, could you give <laughs> this? <laughs> Absolutely. This is the first of its kind science-based initiative uh, putting into practice precisely what we're talking about right now. It's, it's called the Global Coherence Initiative. It is under the auspices of the Institute of Heart Math, H-E-A-R-T, capital M-A-T-H, all one word. Um, it's the first science-based initiative where the sensors are being built to measure the fields and people are being trained to create the experience in their hearts that influences that field. Uh, and it's being done to bring the chaos uh, of a changing world into harmony and coherence. Uh, people go to the website, www.gregbraden.com, G-R-E-G-G-B-R-A-D-E-N.com. Uh, if you click on the button that says the world, uh, the, the world is changing, the world is in crisis, you can help. Follow the links and it will take you to the Global Coherence Initiative. Everyone can participate, uh, and it is the first of its kind science-based initiative bring, bridging these principles with something very applicable in, in our world today. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show, Greg. It's been such a pleasure and honor having you with us. Thank you for the work you do. I want to thank all of our listeners for all they're doing to help make this a better world. And uh, it's been a pleasure being here today, and, and I look forward to the next time. Oh, thank you. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. I love being here with you, and I look forward to being being with you again next week. Come play with me on Twitter and Facebook and get on my mailing list at kgstyles.com so we can stay in touch. You are listening to Transform and Heal Your Life. This is KG Styles, CBS Radio. <laughs>